It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty joined by Michael Bronner this afternoon. Hope everyone is having a fantastic hump day halfway through this work week and of course last night we had a lot of NBA action Kevin Durant and the Suns were able to find a way so far since Durant has come over the Suns have only lost that first game of the series they tie it up with the Clippers one to one Celtics up two to nothing and the Cavaliers they win last night tie the series with the Knicks one to one and of course tonight Lakers Grizzlies Heat Bucks T-Wolves and Nuggets on that NBA schedule and Michael Bronner of course Alabama's A-Day game is this coming Saturday and everyone's been talking about the quarterback battle and you and I for the last couple of weeks have been talking about Kirby Smart being the king of college football and Nick Saban at an event today said he wants to take the success back from Georgia and realizes that there is a shift of power that's getting ready and has already occurred with Georgia being back-to-back national champions. But I think that Nick Saban has been pretty happy with what he's seen so far with the leadership on this team Knows they have a long way to go, but interesting today that Nick Saban talking about cultural shifts and referring to a novel that he's been reading about cultural leadership. Nick Saban chimes in and says he wants to take the old Alabama culture and the successes that they've had and reestablish himself as the top dog in college football. Yeah, so if if Nick Saban realizes that he's not the top dog in college football, surely Alabama fans can realize that they're not the top dogs in college football. But no, in all seriousness, I think this past season was a wake-up call kind of year for the Crimson Tide in, in a couple of ways. One, that... Not only did they lose two games in the regular season, but they also had a, they could have lost a lot more than two games. They really didn't have that dominating performance really against anyone uh, besides your Vanderbilts and ULMs and Utah States of the world. Uh, they, they just didn't dominate. Maybe against Mississippi State as well, but they just didn't have the dominating performances that you're used to and even against SEC opponents. And uh, so, yes, they had two losses, but it really, if it weren't for Bryce Young, for that matter, it would have been four maybe even five losses so that that's one way it was a wake-up call kind of year and then obviously the obvious uh other way the fact that georgia just won back-to-back national championships and then does it in the national championship by 58 points and the fact that like i said georgia did have that that they had a couple of struggles i mean they you could say should have lost to missouri on the road but uh for the most part it wasn't a whole lot of hurdles for it was a very 
early Saban era Alabama-esque kind of season for for the Georgia Bulldogs and then they cap it off with a 58 point win in the national championship to really become that top dog so to speak uh, literally you know yeah. Nick Saban says he likes history and cultural things and the book in which Nick Saban was speaking about he's been reading a book called the end of the world is just the beginning mapping the collapse of globalization by Peter Zihan. And with that being said, I, I love the fact Nick Saban's always been one to use analogies <laughs> and trying to find some type of edge. And of course, I don't think there was a person alive that was a football player who didn't use the 2000 movie gladiator to motivate them. Just ask Ray Lewis and the Baltimore Ravens as far as what their motivation is. But I, I think that when you start looking at how culturally books can affect the psychology, because Nick Saban, I don't know if he majored in psychology when he was in at Kent state, but probably he, not. He he has definitely perfected it in regards to finding that edge and finding whether it's books or novels, because again, he says he's a history buff, but to use something culturally as far as civilizations having their culture stolen from them or taken from them and finding a way to have a revolution and taking it back, I think that's pretty interesting analogy by Nick Saban today. Yeah, he, I, it's amazing how if how much Georgia probably keeps Nick Saban up at night. If <laughs> they're thinking about it like they Kirby Smart leaves Alabama and establishes really the new Alabama at Georgia and frankly is trying to take what Alabama has built away from Alabama. So, of course Nick Saban is going to find that metaphor in in that book the collapse of globalization i don't know if i'd take it that far because you know alabama just played in the national championship two years ago and yes they struggled this past year so i mean but for if you're nick saban you have to think of it that way otherwise you can't rest on your laurels because george is not going anywhere we talked to brooks we talked to chris gordy yesterday he thinks they're gonna three p I think they have a really good chance of three-peating. So if you don't take it that seriously and don't realize the fact that there's this other uh, there's this other team that wants to collapse your your civilization, if you want to compare, if you want to take that Saban uh, simile there, well, that that's what it is. Well, host Jim Dunaway, who was talking to Coach Saban at this Rise Tournament of Champions in Tuscaloosa. I just thought that, you know, Jim set the table for Coach Saban perfectly. And he said, look, it sounds to me like you're trying to take this life lesson and and turn it into a, a life lesson about building a football program and having someone trying to take it away from you. And here's a quote from Saban. That's been the case for a while now. Last couple of years, Dave, somebody's been successful. We need to try to take it back, end quote. And when you hear Nick Saban make comments like that to the Dave, media. Dave, somebody. And, and we know who they are. Because, again, they are the back-to-back -back national champions of college football. But it's interesting that he does use that cultural analysis as far as from a history standpoint about the success and what Kirby Smart has learned. He learned from the GOAT. And, again, 
the student versus the teacher mentality to take that winning culture over to Athens and to start to have that type of success doesn't mean that Saban's necessarily doing anything wrong. It just means that Kirby Smart has found a way to take that culture, which Nick Saban does love to read about in books, and has built a lot of success out of it. Yeah, who was it on the the TV desk during the national? I think it was David Pollock at at halftime of the national championship. <laughs> said right to Nick Saban's face, point blank. Kirby Smart's taking over college football, and Nick Saban can sit there and be grumpy about it. He but gave him the death stare. He gave him the death stare, but he's that death stare also. The reason why the death stare was so deadly is probably because Saban is so pissed off knowing that David Pollock is right. Kirby Smart has taken over college football. So, yeah, what 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 are you gonna do? Sit there and cry about it, or uh, go 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 figure out how to change it? Well, I, I think without question, Nick Saban's at a point in time to where he's gonna he's definitely gonna try to change it, and that's evident by new offensive and defensive coordinators and having an opportunity here to to have a new cycle of guys in and just find a way through through the guys that have already been through the disappointing season of a year ago to try to change that mentality and that culture of the Crimson Tide. But, you know, when you do have players that are entering the portal before or after the game, in Alabama's case, one of their defensive backs, he was a four-star recruit that played in four games for Alabama, Jacquez Robinson, decides to hit the transfer portal before the spring games even play. That's something that I know does not happen every single day, Mike. That's a pretty interesting development that players decide to hit the portal before the games even play. Now, after the game, I know we've talked about Auburn having close to five or six departures since they played their yeah. game. But before it, I, I mean, to me, are you giving yourself an opportunity to put something on tape or do you just gave up on yourself? Well, I mean, I can see both sides there. You have to understand the fact. I mean, if Robinson's not a freshman. He's a, he's a redshirt junior. We're talking about Jaquez Robinson, who entered the transfer portal. Now, a redshirt junior who hasn't played much in his time at Alabama, really mo more so on special teams than anything else. I, I'll take that. Obviously not as a good sign, but I'll, I'll take that. to me. Obviously, you we've talked about this. You can pencil in Kool-Aid and, and really Terry and Arnold. Uh, in the two starting spots. But outside of that, you look at Earl Little, Antonio Kite, maybe even Jaleel Hurley as guys that could certainly be contributors in their young careers. And maybe Jacquez Robinson just sees, oh, man, like these guys are A, a better than me or B, passing me on the depth chart already. There's just no path for me to ever play meaningful time on this team so it is what it is I, I'm just gonna have to enter the transfer portal and find somewhere else to play if that's the case well you know I wish him the best of luck it just didn't work out for him at Alabama like you said he's a four-star recruit it's not like uh you know, it's a walk-on pulled off the street so you you know you wish it would have worked out for him but it's you know, you got a lot of guys in that in that locker room. It's it's not going to work out for everyone. Well, what's going to be interesting is we get ready to 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 hear what Nick Saban had to say in regards to how the team continues to need to provide a mental sharp edge. I think that when you know that you don't have your place, 
I, I would have already entered my name in the transfer portal, unless you want to continue to play in the 8A game, knowing that you're going to hit the portal no matter what. But what are you at that point in time? What are you really contributing to your team? And I know Nick Saban had some comments about the mental toughness and the aspects of wanting to make sure that Alabama stays mentally tough. I think that that's very important. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of the the hallmark of a football team is is mental to obviously you need the jimmies and the joes you need good players you need good schemes but you know if you're not mentally tough if you're gonna get knocked down every time and you know be dejected every time something doesn't go your way well you know you have you have no chance i mean not it's football not everything is going to go your way so you know that's kind of that's kind of been the hallmark of a nick saban team and that that was kind of something concerning last season especially in the road games you know Nick Saban and Will Anderson coming out after the fact talking about like how how we were playing with all this anxiety and just didn't feel good coming out of the tunnel it's like it's not something you've seen from previous Alabama teams it's like these teams relished playing on the road they relished making 80,000 100,000 people shut their mouths and the fact that seems like that's kind of been missing from Alabama past couple years We'll see if Kevin Steele and and uh, a hit of the reset button for the program can get the team back to that. But yeah, I mean that's that that kind of is I think the biggest thing entering this year. Well, it's going to have to be an important theme as you get closer to Alabama's eight A game here, and we will hear Nick Saban's audio on the other side of the break, as well as covering some NBA action and Charles Barkley never at a loss for words. He had some interesting comments about Draymond Green's official suspension now for the Golden State Warriors and of course the Warriors have dug themselves a hole and we'll talk more about our NBA matchups along with what's going on with Auburn's transfer portal We'll also cover a little bit of Jeremy Reeves' action. Jeremy Reeves from South Alabama playing for the Washington Commanders. We'll give you an update on him as well. You're listening to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you on this hump day. And, of course, you can give us a call, 251-694-1055. And we had someone in the app to talk about Alabama losing their edge when Scott Cochran left and went to Georgia. I think Scott Cochran definitely brought some swag to the Crimson Tide, and he could relate to the players, and he was definitely relentless in the weight room. Now that, you know, Alabama did win a national championship without Scott Cochran being a part of it. Matter of fact, I think Scott Cochran was on the opposite sidelines when Alabama was able to win a national championship, but that's always... An interesting topic when you start talking about the first Alabama 
second Alabama, third Alabama, fourth Alabama national championship, and the energy that you always saw Scott Cochran bring, I think that strength and conditioning coaches across the country were really trying to emulate a lot of what they saw because of the successes that Scott Cochran had and how big and cut his guys were and how NFL ready they were. But he's definitely continuing to to make his mark and, and left Georgia for a short time and had some personal issues that he was dealing with and wanted to coach special teams, actually wanted to become a position coach for the Georgia Bulldogs. So that's an interesting dynamic of Scott Cochran. But Jeremy Reeves, former South Alabama defensive back, Went undrafted in the NFL, but he is signed as a restricted free agent, the pro bowler for the Washington Commanders. So want to give props to Jeremy Reeves and all those players that are looking forward to the NFL draft coming up next Thursday. I think that it's going to be a situation to where you can look to people and success stories like Jeremy Reeves to where he goes from undrafted to a pro bowler within a matter of five years, continuing to chase his dream. So congratulations to Jeremy Reeves. We were talking about Nick Saban and being part of his process. Well, I think that when you start listening to Nick Saban talking about how sharp Alabama has to be, that's mentally and physically, you you can't argue with his comments. So, um, any questions? Yeah, Coach, just want to ask about the quarterbacks and how they look today and the progress they made from last week. Well, they both made some good plays, but they also both, you know, made some plays that they probably wish they would have had back. Um, so, but they're making progress. They're improving. Um, I think that they're developing some confidence, you know, in the offense and what they're supposed to read and what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, I thought we were a little up and down today. I think we made some really good plays, but I also thought we made some, you know, maybe mistakes that we, we need to eliminate. Mistakes they need to eliminate. That's, that's something that you heard a lot of from Nick Saban. And again, you saw him running up and down the sidelines last year, almost blowing a, a gasket because there were mistakes that he felt they need to eliminate and they did not. And I think that's going to be critical in where Nick Saban decides the trajectory of this team's going to be because when he's mic'd up on Saturday, if you're able to watch that game on ESPN Plus or they replay it, you'll definitely hear him ripping in not only the coaches but the players too for their effort and how mentally sharp they have to be. You know, last week we didn't get in. We got one, I think. This t today we got four or five, but it goes back to the same old thing. You know, we're preaching ball security, the offense. So if we gave up the ball, then it's good for the defense, bad for the offense. Um, so ball security becomes an issue that we have to focus on, uh, whether we're throwing it, whether we're catching it, whether we're running with it, whatever it is. And um, you know, we just got to keep working on it. I mean, we do turnover drills every day. So, you know, we'll just keep on working at it. Well, you know, keep working at it. That's something that Nick Saban is going to do relentlessly. It's just going to be up for everyone to buy in. And will the Alabama Crimson Tide buy in? Because at times last year, 
Again, you had your best player, probably a top four NFL draft pick, who committed the most penalties on your team, and that was in multiple games. So you talk about focus, and that's something that I know he has to reel his team back into. But one of his former quarterbacks, Tua Tungavailoa, had some interesting comments today about whether he wanted to consider retiring or not after multiple concussions, Brawner. And I think that that's something that you have to consider if you have three concussions in a season. Do you want to give up football? But I think that Tua saying at 25 years old, he wants to continue to be sharp, continue to play the game of football that he loves. And he's a competitor. You you understand why? I mean, you have to understand why he would consider retirement. You have to. I mean, there's a lot of people who would probably be around him and say he should retire. Uh, but I mean, you gotta respect that decision either way. From uh, from Tua's perspective, guy wants to play football. Who you're gonna sit there and tell him he he, he can't play football? I mean, he's a healthy 25 year old who wants to be out there. Now, I mean. But here's the thing. Tua saying he did not know how to fall. Yeah. And I hope he, he said tucking your chin, that was one of the deals, but it went a lot more into the technique of how to disperse your energy when you fall. Kind of like the posture you want to be in. And if you're not presented the posture, what are the other things that you can do to help disperse the energy when you fall? So it's a lot of those things. Tua dispersing energy when he falls. Man, I don't know a defensive back in the NFL who doesn't want to knock your block off as quarterback, and they don't give a damn how you disperse the energy. Their energy is going to be dispersed on you. So Tua having to realize that, I think that that, that's part of where where a lot of fans are concerned about the long-term neurological effects that the concussions that Tua had. Because, yes, he came back from them. Yes, he was effective. And Tua, to me, is Miami's franchise quarterback. But it's just like yesterday when you start talking about the health of DeMar Hamlin. Every time Tua takes a hit, he's not going to be able to get in the posture that he wants to to disperse energy when he gets hit. So, to me, that comment was kind of interesting to say the least, as far as knowing how to absorb a hit. It's one thing to know how to slide or when you know a hit's coming. But if you don't know when and where a hit's coming from, again, the only energy that's going to be dispersed is trying to shake out the cobwebs after getting hit. Yeah, there's certainly a limit to what, quote-unquote, knowing how to fall is going to do for you. You know, if there's a giant guy who's, who's crushing you, well, what is knowing how to fall going to do for you in that in that scenario? But you know, tucking your chin, you hope that, that you don't fall victim to the whiplash effect there that happened in Cincinnati. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you just hope he finds some ways to elongate his career there. Jiu-jitsu is what another technique that Tua Tungavailoa said that he's been working on and working with in the offseason. And, and I don't know if jiu-jitsu is going to, again, help Tua continue to be productive, but we'll see. And I know we have a caller on the air 
right now here on the final drive. Caller, welcome to the final drive. Uh, thanks. How's your day going? I'm absolutely blessed by the best. Thank you for asking. Okay, as far as the comments, you only hear that from someone who's taking martial arts. That's the only time you'll hear it, and they tell you that's the first thing you learn when you take any of the martial arts is how to fall. Most importantly, because someone's going to be trying to knock you down in martial arts, if you know how to fall, you roll, you convert that energy into something conducive so you can attack the person who's attacking you. In two situations, everyone watching him get tackled, they wrap the ankles up, timber, down he goes. Head bounces off the turf. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and to me, that's that's just interesting. And I'm glad Tua, thank you for calling, by the way. I, I'm glad that Tua took jiu-jitsu, and I'm glad that he's trying to learn how to fall better. But, again, that's not going to keep a 300-pound lineman or a, a linebacker that's a pro bowler from, from knocking the hell out of him. I, I mean, it's not going to protect him. His blind side better protect him. Tua better, better do a better job of, again, learning how to slide and not take those hits. And as far as his head hitting the turf in a concussion-type syndrome and getting a concussion, he's just got to, again, offensive line has to do a better job of taking care of him because, yes, some of those things were freaky for Tonga Bailoa in regards to a couple of his concussions. But it doesn't stop them from being life-altering and scary. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner on this hump day. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Jimmy Ripple from Gator Boys, and you're listening to WNSP on 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, you have NBA action tonight. The Lakers and LeBron James. John Morant questionable with that wrist injury that he sustained. Game time call is what they're calling John Morant. And I tell you, if Memphis doesn't have a way for him to play and he's not able to play, the Lakers are going to be in the driver's seat for a lot of fans. And, of course, Miami and Milwaukee, Minnesota and Denver, out of those three games right there, Minnesota and Denver, it, it doesn't intrigue a lot of fans because you just feel that Denver is going to take care and sweep Minnesota out of the building. But Milwaukee being down by one game, Giannis, the, the biggest question is Giannis, He's upgraded to questionable for game two. The Bucs is one of the favorites in the Eastern Conference to go to the NBA Finals, and I don't think you want to go down two games to none to Eric Spolstra. No, you go down two games to none. I, it's not It's not a death sentence, but I have to get the numbers. But you go down two games to none, it's it's almost uh, that's it. Not Not, you know, series isn't over, but... It's just about. I mean, Milwaukee's still favored by eight and a half tonight. By the way, even with, with that, so you said Giannis is game time as well. Yes, absolutely. He, he's upgraded to questionable for game two. So, I mean, if you were leaning, you would think so that you think he's gonna. So he should play. I, I, I think he could have an opportunity to play. But again, that's a nasty fall that he took. 
directly square on his back. And, you know, I think his fall on his back was harder than what Sabonis received as far as being stomped from Draymond Green. And Draymond Green facing a one-game suspension for his stomp. And I was hoping that they would go ahead and find Draymond and move on from that. But Draymond, when you go and the NBA commissioner is sitting in the stands and it looks and appears, whether you saw the replay or not, live, it looks like Draymond stomped on him. And that's what they were reviewing. And they said it was excessive and his behavior leaving the arena. To me, if Draymond just leaves the arena and doesn't do all the finger waving and the Hulk Hogan, let me hear you, and and antagonizing the crowd. I know Charles Barkley had something to say about Draymond Green's suspension last night. I was surprised uh, for the simple fact that he got tossed last night. I personally, I don't have any proof. I think his histrionics running around the gym, doing this with the commissioner in the building, I think that's why they got like, got, I think that's the person why he got suspended. That could be that could be part of it, just like, you know, his history of unsportsmanlike Because he did the like same thing. Because he said. did the same thing last time, running around the gym when he when he got tossed in Memphis, running around doing that. That's when he fan. took Brandon Clark. Yeah. So I think that's uh, like I say, I'm still surprised. But what really bothers me about this whole thing, to be honest with you, uh, we're taking away from the fact that the Sacramento Kings are just kicking their ass. That's what bothers me. They, for the first time in a long time, the Sacramento Kings have had a fabulous season and a terrific team. And we're gonna be talking about this. I, I don't know what's gonna happen in the game the next couple nights, but what we're taking away from is the great job. We just interviewed the most clutch player in the NBA, He's going to win coach of the year. De'Aaron Fox and, and Mike Brown. And Mike Brown. And we're talking about this junk because let's get one thing straight. They have outplayed the Golden State Warriors. In the first two games. Yes. Sacramento. And we're not even yeah. talking about that. We're going to be talking like with, with, because obviously this is going to be the number one thing on talk shows tomorrow. It was on talk shows all day today, as a matter of fact. Yeah, the question is, do you think the yeah. league will suspend it? Yes, and like I say, I'm, I'm surprised he got suspended, but we need, man, I hate this taking away from what the Sacramento Kings are doing. I agree with Charles Barkley in regards to I'm surprised that Draymond was suspended for his actions. Do I think that, again, it warranted an ejection? Absolutely so. But does it warrant a suspension? No, and if if had the commissioner not been there, if his name wasn't Draymond Green, if this was a regular season game, I I think that you would, again, the fine would just be excessive. But for Draymond to have, and being Draymond being Draymond, that's what you're looking at now. You're looking at a suspension. Well, it's just a... yeah, it's a soft move from the worst commissioner in sports, but I can't say I'm I'm surprised by that. Yeah, the fact that Adam Silver was there and Draymond did whatever he did affected I Adam Silver's legitimately affecting the game now. And I yes, Charles Barkley is correct that it's unfortunate that it takes away from the fact that the Sacramento Kings, who haven't made the playoffs in sixteen years or whatever, are just putting it on the defending champs and really a team that has been the preeminent dynasty in, in the NBA for the last 
better part of the last decade. So it, it is unfortunate that we're sitting here talking about Draymond Green being suspended uh, instead of the fact that the Sacramento Kings are about to advance and, and win a playoff series and take out the defending champs. Granted, they are a shell of what they were last year. But that being said, that doesn't mean the suspension's not ridiculous. It's, it's a ridiculous move from Adam Silver. But again, you know, it's the worst commissioner in sports just doing worst commissioner in sports things. So what's, uh, you know, what's what's the point of even being surprised or upset about it at this point? It's just typical NBA drama, regular, uh, regular stuff. It's about par for the course for the NBA. Well, well not only that, I mean, you, you talked about the NBA or certain players being a little bit soft. When you have an NHL player that takes 75 stitches to his noggin, gets hit in the face accidentally with the blade of a skate while there was a scrum on the ice, you take 75 stitches and you boot yourself up and you come back to play. Bronner, you coming back to play after 75 stitches Period. I mean, hell no. But uh, here's the thing. If you're going to compare the NHL to the NBA, I mean, these guys in the NHL are complete and utter psychopaths. It's kind of ridiculous some of the stuff they play through. I always look forward to after the Stanley Cup seeing, you know, what what injuries star player played with. I remember Patrice Bergeron of the Bruins played through like a collapsed lung throughout their entire playoff run a few years back. It is utterly ridiculous what some of these NHL guys play through just on a nightly basis especially in the playoffs so the comparing it to the NBA is is utterly absurd and then you know you know it was funny shortly after Draymond was suspended last night it came out that Sabonis is questionable for game three with what is it a sternum contusion that's, yeah that's just a made-up injury it's not a sternum contusion what what is that well, That's not real. I, I, I've never heard of anyone be diagnosed with a sternum contusion. I mean, I, I guess sternum he's saying he contusion. got contusion. Give me a break, man. Well, I know this much. Morgan Barron, he, he, he is one of the toughest guys that I've, I've yeah. seen by getting cut in the face with a skate and then returning and finishing the game. Like you said, hockey guys are built a little bit differently. A lot of it, but seventy-five plus stitches. I mean that—that's that—that was last night with the Winnipeg Jets and the Vegas Golden Knights. There'll be a couple other times where you'll make hockey references here on the final drive. But anybody that can go ahead and take a blade to the face, we see boxers get punched in the face all the time. But to accidentally take a skate to the face. And to take 75 stitches, not 20, not 30, not 40. 75 stitches to close up that face. I, I do think that that part was very interesting in regards to that. And I, I will say this, too, as far as toughness is concerned, a lot of people were questioning the toughness of one T.J. Finley. Mm. And yesterday, I know we were talking with Chris Gordy on his Locked On SEC podcast, and he and he was talking to T.J. Finley. And T.J. Finley says it was a slap in the face <laughs> for oh. him not to have an opportunity to continue to be the starting quarterback at Auburn. And he, he, he feels that he basically he was treated unfairly. Oh, T.J. Slap in the face, Bronner. 
reading that quote was a slap in the face to to Auburn fans everywhere. Brought me a little bit of a smile, but man, what really? What what did TJ Finley do besides not get smoked in the Iron Bowl the previous year in a game he didn't play well? In a game that Auburn would have won, by the way, if Bo Nix had played. What did TJ Finley do the previous season for Auburn not to bring in a quarterback to compete with him? By the way, TJ Finley was the starting quarterback at the start of the season and played atrociously and lost the starting job. So what are, what are we talking about here? That was truly one of the more ridiculous quotes I've ever read for TJ Finley to say it was a slap in the face. But but what what even when you have Brian Harson as your quarterback and Cadillac Williams too. I think every opportunity was given to every quarterback, whether that's Robbie Ashford, whether that's TJ Finley, Zach Calzada in the past to get things done for Auburn and to show that you're a leader and you can command any type of offense for the Auburn Tigers. Calzada, a guy who, by the way, played the game of his life the previous season for Texas A&M against Alabama. Yeah, never worked out at Auburn. I guess that was just a one-off night of his life type of deal in that A&M against the Alabama game in College Station because you know he never really even had a shot to win the starting job at Auburn. He was never even close. Uh, you know, when he got brought into Auburn, it was kind of expected that he was going to be the starting quarterback, and it just never worked out that way for whatever reason. He was never good in practice. He he never even really scratched the surface of, of coming close to be the starting quarterback for Auburn, which was surprising if, if you were told that when he transferred. But, yeah, so it was essentially T.J. Finley versus Robbie Ashford. And Finley, I guess, I guess you could say, won the job at the start of the season. But again, it's like to say it's a slap in the face when Finley did nothing to earn the job. And and but for, for what these guys are so scared the the transfer portal era. Everyone's so scared of competition in general. If you're the best guy for the job, you're gonna win the job regardless. So what's how is it a slap in the face to bring in someone else? But this is where it becomes a little bit confusing to Auburn fans and and fans in general. When you say after the spring game, someone asks you whether you have intentions of being Auburn's starting quarterback, you say, hell yeah, most definitely. If I didn't want to be, I wouldn't be here. And then less than two weeks later, you're in the transfer portal saying that you got slapped in the face. I, it, so it, how, is that, how is that possible to be slapped in the face for you to say that you, you feel like you should be the starter they give you every opportunity to earn it, and, and you just didn't get it. And you came to Auburn from LSU. You left LSU for a reason, <laughs> and now you're leaving Auburn for a reason. Did LSU slap Finley in the face too? I, I just don't understand that. It's very, 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 very entitled mindset. Again, for a guy who, yeah, Auburn had a chance and probably should have beaten Alabama in the Iron Bowl, but it wasn't because of T.J. Finley's performance. He did okay, and he it was somewhat admirable to step in for Bo Nix like that. But again, if Bo Nix had played in that Iron Bowl, Auburn wins that Iron Bowl. So what? So why is T.J. Finley going to say it's a slap in the face that Auburn brings in? He wasn't good. He 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 never has been a shown to be a good SEC quarterback. So uh, what? 
why shouldn't Auburn bring in competition for him? The, the question is, you know, he's weighing the portal, right? He, he's not quite sure whether he wants to be an Auburn man because he will be able, as a grad transfer, to, to hit that portal and to find options elsewhere. I don't think it'll be at a power five. It sure, it sure is not going to be in the SEC. No, no, it's not. Third SEC school? I don't think so. And I think that having the opportunity, again, power five school, I just don't see that happening for TJ Finley. And given every opportunity to take their helm and Auburn and to be their quarterback, and Auburn fans were excited when he came from LSU. Yeah, rightfully so. I mean, he was a highly regarded recruit. It just it just never worked out for him in the SEC, and that happens. He's certainly not the first guy that that's been the case for. We have someone in the app that said he'll go to Central Florida <laughs> as Gus's scraps, and oh, I, I don't. He may wind up in Central Florida. Uh, I just think that you have to find a home that's best for you, and if you stay on campus at Auburn. I think that, that that goes to speak that that's even more of a slap in the face what they think about you. We never talked about that uh, John Rice Plumley thing from over the weekend, the starting quarterback at UCF who hits a triple and RBI in the baseball game earlier in the day and then goes and throws two touchdowns in the spring game, former Ole Miss quarterback. I've always been a big fan of that guy. Good, well, great that's athlete. What, that's awesome. what happens when you're a, a multiple, a multi-sport athlete and you have that type of ability and you're able to do that. And I think that we'll talk a little bit more about T.J. Finley and four other Auburn players who have also hit that portal and see what happens. And Sean Jones and Av said Gus wouldn't even entertain the idea of bringing him in. I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so either. I, I think that, again, a Power 5 school out of the question is just finding your mark. Maybe Liberty, maybe somewhere like that. But it's definitely not at Auburn, if you ask me, unless he wants to hold a clipboard. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey Bounty and Michael Bronner. Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And in this past hour, of course, we've covered Draymond Green's suspension in the NBA along with Jeremy Reeves signing that one-year deal with the Washington Commanders. And congratulations to Jeremy Reeves getting that bag, securing that bag as a restricted free agent for the commanders again he was a pro bowler this year a phenomenal story of when ron rivera told him that he was a pro bowler brought himself and a lot of teammates to tears and of course we talked about nick saban's response to kirby smart success nick says says he wants to take back and shift the power back to the university of alabama and you know, that's one of those things that he didn't call out Georgia by name, but he definitely said that he wants to to get it back. And I think that, you know, a way to do that will be to take away a lot of the mental errors. And we'll see how many mental errors will come Saturday for the 8A game. And, again, the quarterback position is going to be scrutinized at Alabama. 
It's going to be under a microscope on Saturday. The entire world will be watching to see what Nick Saban and who Nick Saban's favorite in the clubhouse is going to be moving forward next year. Coming up here at 4 o'clock, Gerhard Manigani from WKRG 5 Sports will be joining us. And, of course, we'll be talking to Gus Smith from Future Ones. And then at 5.30, we'll step into the batter's box. Joey Warner will be joining us live here at 5.30 to feature our WS, WNSP Now podcast. The final drive on WNSP coming back at the top of the hour. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you on this hump day. Hope everyone has had an outstanding and productive work day on this Wednesday. And, of course, you can reach us in the app or call us at 251-694-1055. And here along the Gulf Coast at WKRG, of course, you see Simone Eli. And joining Simone Eli is Gerhard Monagani, who is our next guest here on the final drive. And, Gerhard, I wanted to welcome you to the final drive. And you and I have had the privilege of working together covering the AHSAA Super 7 as the football finals, you're no stranger to high school football and what's going on in the state of Alabama. That's correct. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me on, both Corey, you and Michael. Yeah, it's great to be down here. But, yes, uh, as you know, football in and around the state of Alabama, basketball, softball, I know we're going into the spring sports season now. It's, it's really big. Uh, it brings communities together, and it was the exact same where I was. So I was, uh, I was in the uh, northeast Alabama part. Um, of the uh, of the state for a while. We're in the Calhoun County, cover a lot of Calhoun County, Etowah County, Talladega, uh, St. Clair, uh, Cleburne. And uh, and so we obviously have a lot of tie-ins to, to the South. So I was always familiar with uh, with South football and uh, different South sports uh, here across the uh, the Gulf Coast. And so now here at WKRG, it, it feels a, a lot of the same, but a lot, very different as well with different communities. So it's, it's great to be down here for the past month or so. Well, you know, one of the things that we all realize here along the Gulf Coast and really across the entire state of Alabama is our passion for not only collegiate sports, but also high school football as well. And when you start looking at the high school football scene here, when you come on and you see Sarah Land High School, I know last night Sarah Land High School received their state championship football rings, but it's going to be fun watching Ryan Williams and the Spartans trying to repeat this year in 6A football. For sure. I think that that Sarah Land story and the Sarah Land football team, just in general, will be so fun to watch because – 
you, you talk about a team that had that was really led by a lot of young guys. I know they had a great senior class, but their young guys really led the charge this past year. And, of course, you talk about Ryan Williams, who took the state's highest honor. And then, obviously, we have K.J. Lacey, who's back in the fold again this year. And there's there's a lot to, to really like about what Coach Jeff Kelly has back in the fold this year. But but now the role's reversed because they chased that first hit. And so they were the hunters as long as everybody else. But now they're hunted. And so it, to see that dynamic from them will be really interesting because now they have they have the, the blue map, and they have what everybody else in 6A is chasing. And, uh, and it's an interesting dynamic to see them go from the team that was making the hunt for that championship run to now the team that holds the trophy and defending it, quote-unquote. I know uh, a lot of coaches don't like to say about defending things anymore, but, uh, but as, the, uh, as the reigning champion. Speaking with Gerhard Monagani, WKRG5 sports reporter, new to the Mobile area. And I know one of the things that, of course, we love to, to talk about here is, of course, Alabama and Auburn football. And this coming right. Saturday, we have the Alabama A-Day game. And I know that Coach Saban has really and is not going to give us any type of depth chart. But when you start looking at this Alabama team and this A-Day game this Saturday, what are you going to be eyeballing outside of the quarterback battle? I was going to say quarterback, obviously, the, uh, is the very first point. But uh, if you read between the lines from what head coach Nick Saban says, and, and, and as a person, I'm sure you've, you've heard you know, countless press conferences. I'm the same way. He codes his language. He codes a lot of things that he's saying. There's things he's very frank about. If you if you really hear him speak a group, that means you know they're going above and beyond for Coach Saban to, to say that. So that offensive line unit, I think, is going to be really interesting this year. Um, that seems like a group that from the beginning of spring camp to where we are now has really taken a, a big stride. So if that's the case, well, then any good running game will benefit from a good offensive line, and any of the, the quarterbacks that will have ample time to throw will be, will be uh, uh, the benefactor of that as well. So I will look closely at the offensive line, and then, by contrast, how that defensive line look. And, and obviously, when, when, when a quarterback is sacked, you know, obviously you can say, hey, great job of the defense, or you can say, you know what happened to the offensive line. I think it kind of works both ways. It's a catch-22 in a lot of ways from, from that regard. That D-line obviously losing uh, Will Anderson, probably uh, a top-five pick coming up in the, in the NFL draft next week. Um, how will they replace him? Um, how will they, how will they uh, replace a guy in the middle like Henry Toto was? That middle of defense, that front seven was such a positive unit for the team last year, not only on the field, but off the field as well. A bunch of leaders that, that, that really you know, took pride in their work. And I think Nick Coach Saban really loved the way that those guys were able to handle their business on and off the field. Who will be those next guys to step up there in that role? And then a position group that Coach Saban works with very closely, that defensive back unit. Um, how will they you know, bounce back uh, going into this year as well? So receiver obviously um, is a, has been a question, point, question mark for the last couple of years. I think that the receiver questions will be answered as soon as the O-line and the quarterback situation gets, gets resolved as well. I think Alabama will always recruit and always do well from a wide receiver standpoint, um, but can they get those ancillary pieces around them in order to, to get themselves to that next level? So if I'm, if I'm ranking them, O-line, D-line, secondary, and then that wide receiver unit. 
Gerhard, uh, TJ Finley entered the transfer portal for Auburn yesterday. We've talked to a lot of Auburn beat reporters who generally believe the quarterback for the Tigers is still not on the roster. I, I generally believe that to be the case. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is a development because Finley's been a guy that went to LSU and then came over to Auburn. He was a guy that I think a lot of was really excited about because my body standpoint, structure standpoint, looked a lot like Cam Newton, uh, kind of played a lot like him in the in the uh, early those early A day games, the early preseason practice, and and then lost the job obviously um, a season ago and it, it was just kind of been in flux and so um, obviously this past spring has gone by and and he feels like that you know maybe he should be able to explore some other options so we'll see how that works out for him but I think that this, the quarterback questions at Auburn don't seem like they've been solidified for a few years now and so um, even going into this year and I know that every quarterback was trying to put their their best forward for coach Hugh Freeze and coach Freeze at the end of his press conference. If you listen to his press on a day, talked about, he even left room, uh, no pun intended, left the door open for to be open for another quarterback to be able to come in from church portal. So uh, it just seems that, uh, that everybody's just trying to find uh, their place. That's coaches that's players. Um, so the development with, with TJ Finley to me is just another chapter in a really interesting book as it relates who will play quarterback at Auburn uh, for the next, you know, few years. Um, I think that the title is going to be uh, T.J. Finley. That was the case. Robbie Ashford looks to be the guy right now. But the key is it's right now. We are still in the middle of, uh, of April. Things may change very completely by the end of January, by the end of July. So um, I think there's still a lot of questions to be answered there um, as far as T.J. Finley's home. I, I, I'm not sure. I think that he can play college football. He can play on the Power 5 level. Um, I don't know what the, the, the coaches saw in and out of practice every single day. Obviously, the coaches will be really tight-lipped about, you know, about how they evaluate him each and every day. Um, but but it'll be another interesting dynamic with TJ Finley in general, where he goes, does he stay in the SEC, does he venture out, or um, what Auburn does with the quarterback situation at all. If the starter, if the starter is a guy that doesn't that's not wearing an Auburn uniform right now, that's still left to to be to be determined. Well, I tell you, South Alabama wrapped up their A-Day game as well. A lot of returners coming off that 10-win season, and there's a lot of reason to be excited there. And I know you've done a great job of you and Simone both of covering the South Alabama Jaguars. But more importantly, on Sunday, after the 10 o'clock news, people can tune in and catch up you guys wrapping up the week of sports that have gone on. How can people and where can people and what time can people tune in to watch you make your continued debut on WKRG 5 Sports? Yeah, Corey, I really appreciate the, uh, the the platform to be able to discuss this. So, yes, we have a 30-minute a show that we do every Sunday night after our late 10 o'clock news. Um, things were, were, were thrown off a little bit with, with March Madness being on our network. And so now it's, it's about right now at the end of the 10 o'clock news at a structured time after March Madness and the, and, uh, and the Masters threw things off a little bit. But, uh, yeah, we have a 30-minute show. We recap. It's kind of a review, preview kind of show. It's the week that was and a preview of the week to come. Obviously, a lot of things going on on the calendar right now. Sunday night at 10:35. I also anchor our Saturday and Sunday night uh, news broadcast at six o'clock and uh, and ten o'clock as well. So doing both of those, and then anytime Simone's out or if I'm out, I'll call during the week and I'll do different stories as well. I've been to South Alabama and uh, and and getting stories, highlighting different uh, whether it's teams or individuals. 
obviously getting close to the spring sports, their, their finales here over the next couple of weeks, softball, tennis, golf, uh, all of our spring sports wrapping up as well as spring football. So I'll be out and about here in the uh, Gulf Coast area and obviously on the weekends doing, uh, doing sports overtime, which is always great. And, uh, and Simone and I tag team uh, on that show. She did a great, great job with it. I'm just to carry on that tradition. Gerhard, thank you so very much, and we look forward to talking to you very soon. Thank you all very, very much, and look forward to more of y'all. No question about it. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5, Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner joining you this afternoon. Hi, my name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055, or you can reach us in the app. And we were talking earlier today about Tua Tungavailoa saying that he was going to try to find a way to take hits better. And then he pondered and considered retirement shortly. But at 25 years of age, he felt like he had a lot more football in him. And, you know, Tua decided to come back. Tiger decided to come back. So you have Tua and Tiger both that are trying to compete against their bodies, basically, because, again, the brain is a function that you can't control. And when it gets rocked the way that Tua's has, it causes problems. Of course, Tiger Woods having that horrific car crash, He's having another successful ankle surgery on that right ankle. And this was to address the post-traumatic arthritis in his right ankle. And we were wondering, was we were happy that he made the cut at the Masters. But at the same time, when the rain and the cold hit, Heck, his legs weren't happy. He made the his, cut. His gait was horrible. I mean, yeah. he just couldn't get around. Yeah. And it's a situation now to where it may undo the rest of his golfing season to where we may have seen Tiger take his last swing in the Masters. Yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to think he'll he'll play in another. But you're saying for this season or or. or like ever in in general i mean he could be at the pga championship in may like i think well pga championship at this point might be ambitious but yeah i mean maybe he could play in the u.s open it's like these courses are harder and tougher to walk i, I just I, how many times can we have the same conversation with with tiger at this point and it's sad and and tough to say every time but and and it didn't give a timeline for his return to to what they call competitive golf. Yeah. But when again, to me it's amazing that he's even back, period. But now with what they were calling plantar fasciitis at the Masters and the reason for him having to withdraw, I mean, who does not want to see a 15-time major champion? Second of all time. Who does not want to see Tiger win his 83rd PGA Tour and have his 83rd Tour win? 
I mean, the second most all-time masters. I, I just there's so many complications that Tiger's had, not just with age, but from again that horrific car crash that absolutely shattered bones in his legs and his ankles. And he's really lucky that he didn't have he's not an amputee, to be honest with you. Yeah, the car crash has uh, derailed things here late in the career. I, he won the Masters in 2019, which was obviously a, a spectacular story. It was the first major he'd won in over a decade. And, I mean, we said it. It's, it's not like the guy can't swing a golf club anymore. He, he, he still had some spectacular shots. He just, he just can't walk anymore. So, I, I mean, had the car crash not happened, yeah, he, he'd still be competing. He'd, I mean, I'm... Obviously, he wouldn't be dominating anymore, but and it's really hard to uh, compete with the John Roms and the Scotty Schefflers of the world, even if you are in top physical shape at this point in uh, in your 40s. But I mean, look at Phil Mickelson before the Masters. It's just, uh, man. I mean, the guy can't walk anymore. But I mean, but think about it. I mean, you know, is Tiger Woods going to get around on a golf cart and compete in majors? Not, not at the. Uh, he's openly stated. You know, he'll do that in the, at the Champions Tour on the Senior Tour, but no, he 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 won't do that at this level. He just, even if there was a special exemption granted to him, he won't do it. Uh, which I understand, and you know, you don't want to quote unquote cheat the game, whether you think that's cheating the game or not. Walking is a is a part of it, and the endurance, and you know, walking seventy two holes of golf over four days, so it certainly is a big part of the game. Uh, but he won't do it. He 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 absolutely you'll you you just won't see it. Well, you you've seen athletes walk away at the peak of their career when you just want to see more because after Michael Jordan Barry Sanders won his sixth title with the Bulls we didn't want to see him retire we wanted to see him come back and play again now no one wanted to see him go to the Washington Wizards okay but when you start looking at the Jim Browns of the world or the Barry Sanders of the world would would Tiger consider walking away from golf all together at this point in time. And that's why I say Tiger and Tua to begin this segment are tied together because Tua, he said he's not walking away. And his body, again, you can't control neurological functions as evident to that vice grip that Tua had on that field when his fingers looked like he was gripping a tennis ball. And the same thing with Tiger. I mean, Tua, by choice, is deciding to come back and continue to take harm to his body, being a, a walking bullseye every time he takes a snap. Same thing with Tiger. Every time he walks or swings a club, his body is talking to him and letting him know how much pain he's in. And only Tiger can tell when when he's had enough. But competitors just don't want to quit. They don't want to walk away. And that's one of the things that – it, it, it hurt so many people about Muhammad Ali being the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the fastest man alive. And, and all of a sudden, now he's taking punches and punishment that he shouldn't have taken. Yeah. And and that's not how you wanted to remember Muhammad Ali. Nah, Same man. thing here with Tua and Tiger. You know, un- unfortunately, in Muhammad Ali's case, it-, it probably led to some problems later in life, which you just don't want to see in Tiger's case or in Tua's case or in 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 anyone's case, any athlete for that matter. The, you know, the sometimes the most honorable thing to do is knowing when to walk away. I, you know, I'm not a doctor. I, I don't know what the 
long-term effects of Tiger continuing to play golf would be. I, I just... I just don't see him continue ever getting back to a guy who can compete for a major championship at this point. And I mean, I've said this over and over and over again. I hope and pray that I am wrong on that. I, I would more so than any other sports thing I've ever had like to be wrong on that. I, I would love it if Tiger came out at to the U.S. Open at the end of the summer and, and went out and won the thing and proved me wrong. I just I just don't see how it's physically humanly possible i just i can't see it happening well as much as i would love to see it happen and a lot of other golfers you you just don't again that's why i was pulling for him to to make the cut at the masters because you're just hoping for that again one magical moment that you'll have an opportunity to see what many people grew up seeing the world's greatest golfer and potentially the greatest golfer of all time you, you see that happening and you don't want to see Tua put his health at risk same thing yesterday with DeMar Hamlin deciding he wants everybody's holding their breath when you start talking about Tua and DeMar and the game of football along with Tiger Woods trying to battle his newest ankle surgery and when he'll be back to major golf the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey Labonte and Michael Bronner on this Hump Day Wednesday. Hi, I'm former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte along with Michael Brauner on this hump day. And, of course, with the NFL draft coming up, we wanted to talk with someone who would know a, about one of the highest or the highest paid NFL player now in the history of the National Football League. And who better to do so than someone who writes for the Philly Voice, Aton Shander joins us this afternoon good evening and, and welcome to the final drive oh it's my pleasure Corey, michael thanks for having me guys absolutely we thank you for coming on with us and of course jalen hurts he said show me the money and nicole lynn his agent did a phenomenal job of finding him that bag and having that no trade clause it's just one of those things to where as a second round draft pick and being the the signal caller for the Philadelphia Eagles, you couldn't have asked for a better contract or for a better person to receive that contract than Jalen Hurts. Yeah, absolutely. And and looking at the individual himself, there is nothing that you would look at last year that would warrant or indicate any concern that there was a fluke, that it was some sort of magic run, that there was any lightning in the bottle. Jalen Hurts was manufacturing yards and points on the board and just running the offense. He's, and, and, you know, this used to be a slight when you would say it about a quarterback, not me, but I'm saying it was taken as a slight where, oh, the quarterback may be the best rusher on both the team and the NFL. Jalen Hurts, you can make an argument that Jalen Hurts is the best running back in the NFL as much as he is the best quarterback. <laughs> He is so dynamic. The only concern is like anybody who plays that position, the concern is health. But you don't make a deal. You don't franchise, not franchise tag, but you don't make a franchise-level deal like that unless you know this is your guy. And, again, I, I would challenge anybody who could go back to last year 
from on the field, off the field, stories just about conversations Jalen Hurts would have with guys on the sidelines when things weren't working to conversations he'd have with guys on the sidelines when things were working. Just how he is as a leader, how he is as an individual, a teammate, a representative, really, of the team. You couldn't find one area last year and point to that and say, oh, no, 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 that's, that's where it went wrong. They may have lost a game. They may have lost in the Super Bowl. But at no point was this ever – Jalen Hurts is there's a concern or a question mark around him. So absolutely, just it just made sense for the Eagles to do this and, and lock him up. Hey Todd, I found the timing of this very interesting. It wasn't like the rumors were floating around to this massive extension. It kind of just came out of nowhere. And uh, was this the type of situation where you wanted to beat Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert? Because all these guys are just going to pass each other now. Yeah. See, now you're onto something, right? And look. Jalen Hurts' agent and and the fact that they got this deal done, if it gets to a trade where you're actually looking to trade Jalen Hurts, this whole thing is a massive failure, right, in its own right. So, you know, that that's part of it. I get it. But they were never really going to look to trade him. So this comes to, and I think the, the point you raised, Michael, about the timing of it. Look, the Eagles are not making a deal with anybody under any circumstance unless it benefits the Eagles first. And I know that from watching Howie Roseman work way before he got sent to the dungeon by Chip Kelly under Joe Banner, learning how to master the cap. This is the guy who is years ahead of what the market is doing. And there absolutely is an element to get ahead and set the market before the market is set on you. So the beauty of the deal is that Jalen Hurts' agent gets to go back and say, hey, we got all this great stuff. And Howie Roseman gets to go back and say, yeah, well, we just got ahead of it. Like, we were going to give a lot of that anyway, but we got ahead of it on the timing, and now you can start to rework other areas and not really be hamstrung. So that's why this thing works, really, from the standpoint, and I can promise you this, it's very rare that the Eagles go into a major deal where there's not something that's benefiting them, and it's not getting out of this. It's the ability to restructure it and work elsewhere, or simply the timing of the deal to restructure other contracts now. Yeah, I think that's huge, but the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, you can call it one fumble away from winning the Super Bowl, and I don't think you can really necessarily put that on that one play as far as losing the Super Bowl, but it cost you points at the same time. The Eagles are having a plethora of draft picks here coming up in 2023. How can they continue to help Jalen, whether it's offensively or defensively or special teams-wise? It's amazing that Javon Hargraves, really? And, and I'm not saying it's a negative. I mean, that, that dude was a monster, double-digit sacks, but I think that's really what we're talking about here for a a lack uh, or like a loss of personnel. So it's not like they, they were decimated. Remember, rumor, oh, Gardner Johnson is another loss, but you know, they bring back both their cornerbacks. They still have depth up front of the defensive line. Linebackers were playing great, and that's usually an Achilles heel here for this Eagles defense. So to answer your question, Corey, I think the team is pretty much intact. Now, look, you want to add a punter because of what happened last year with injury, you know, things like that, that's fine. But I think the team is intact where you have Lane Johnson coming back, you have Jason Kelsey, you, know, you have these guys built in to returning 
to where all of a sudden now you're looking at depth. You're not looking at drafting a star. And I know that there's a lot of talk about Robinson from Texas as a possibility here. I'm going to tell you guys, I'm 90% positive that Harry Roseman is trading out of that top 10 spot because this is what he does. When there is nothing that would warrant taking somebody at top 10, he's going to trade back. Same thing if it's 15, if it's 25, wherever it is, he's going to bounce back. So that oh, trade back, sorry. That goes back to him reading the, the capital and trying to help out Hertz by maybe trading back and getting some more depth as opposed to just taking somebody that may be a depth role at 10. Talking to Aton Shander from the Philly Voice. He covers the Eagles. Now, Aton, last season in the draft, the Eagles double dip up from the legendary Georgia defense by grabbing Jordan Davis and N'Kobe Dean. I got to ask you, what if Jalen Carter were to drop the 10? How he's not trading back in that scenario? Yeah, that's where it gets a little interesting. I know that there's been some talk about it. I mean, you guys, how often, especially with the eye on college football that you have, how much lying, smoke, how much of, of just madness and nonsense and belligerence and just flat-out bold-faced lying do we have right about now, right? So you kind of sift through and you, and you try to gather if it's mocks or if it's a report or if it's somewhere local there. You're right. If he's on the board at 10, it's going to make it – significantly more difficult to trade back. You could, however, use that as a piece. Now, to, to actually uh, leverage more in return, but I'm with you. I think that opens up a situation. Now, I don't think, to be fair, I don't think Howie trades up. If Carter's sitting there and, and you know, maybe it's a couple of spots, what have you, I don't think Roseman trades up. But similar to when Fletcher Cox was taken, where it was kind of like a spot in the draft where you kind of had to go with a guy like that, that level of talent, I wouldn't be shocked if he's there at 10. And that's why I left a little wiggle room, right? When I, I think it was like 90%. So, so maybe I'll back it down 85%. But, yeah, if he's there, it makes things much more difficult to pass. Well, when you start looking at Jalen Hurts' weapons, Devontae Smith, of course, you know oh. him. Um, as far as him continuing to get better, along with when you put the veteran A.J. Brown alongside him, I think the biggest factor, again, for Philadelphia with the signing of Marcus Mariota is if something happens to Jalen and he has to sit out one or two games, that you're having a quarterback that has a lot of similarities in regards to what they bring to the table and how they command and run an offense yeah i think you're right i think ideally there is a very seamless transition like nick sirianni's not calling new plays that's the ultimate reality right if jalen hurts misses two weeks and look they did that with gardner Minshew. They, they did not change the offense. The offense didn't look as good because Gardner Minshew ain't Jalen Hurts, but neither is Marcus Mariota. So they're not going to change anything. The, the play calling stays the same. The approach to a game stays the same. Running, the aggression of play calling stays the same. What changes now, and I think the onus becomes a little bit stronger on the running game. And you lose Miles Sanders, you, you need to address that. I know Kenneth Gainwell, and, and I love the kid. I'm excited to see what he can do, but We've got Boston Scott. I mean, you're going to have an opportunity there to be exposed if you don't have guys step up and kind of overcompensate the dynamic ability that Jalen Hurts has. And, look, it doesn't take away from anybody else in the NFL, but you guys saw this, man. I mean, he is just on a different planet when he has the football in his hands. I mean, it's the closest thing you could – point to to like Allen Iverson to where you just don't know what could happen anything could happen and you could get burned three or four different ways and it's insane 
Howie Roseman. You can tell I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Howie Roseman, for my money, is probably the best GM in the league. I, I do have to ask this, and being a, being a Patriots fan, I probably know this experience better than most. Is he forgiven in Philadelphia for taking Jalen Rieger over Justin Jefferson? Again, you're talking to a guy who roots for a team that took Nikhil Harry over A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, and Debo Samuel. So, you know, I understand the, the pain there. But A.J. Brown probably isn't an eagle had that had that had uh justin jefferson been an eagle yeah i think that's a look you're, you're always gonna have a a rough one right like everybody's got a movie on their resume that you just point to and say how or, or you know everybody's got an album uh, i don't care who you are right even outcast like everybody's got an album that you can point to and say come on what, what were y'all thinking here just just a little bit of a dip what have you so that's always going to be i think the the butt end of a joke or, or something that gets brought up. I know that there was a sign or two for some fans down in Houston last year uh, about it, but it's become almost now like an, an afterthought, but it's still brought up in jest, right? At one point it was brought up like, this guy doesn't know what the heck he's doing, and this is a prime example. The video that went viral of the Minnesota guys being like, really? <laughs> this is what's going on right now? I think all of that, in hindsight, is, is more just like, okay, you know, you have a miss. I don't care who you are, you know, uh, Musk or Bezos or any of these other guys. I mean, they've got misses as much as they've got hits. I mean, even the, the guy indicted's got some hits, right? So everybody's got misses and hits. It's just a matter of how many shots you take. Howie Roseman, though, has got a really good track record. Well, not only having a good track record, I, I think that there's a couple intriguing running backs that, that – Philadelphia could possibly go. I mean, the talk about Texas running back B. John Robinson, is that somewhere that Philadelphia would want to go to continue to enhance their offense? Or Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama? I, I, we saw him time and time again be a very versatile back this year for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Could he possibly fall in their lap? Or do you just go get B. John Robinson with that number 10 pick? See, I think that's a very – it's a cool dynamic that I think Howie Roseman's going to deal with. I, I don't know about drafting a running back in the first round. And, and the reason why I say that, and I'm just trying to look at it from Howie Roseman's standpoint. So I don't know – they just parted ways with a the guy they took in the second round, right, Miles Sanders. And I think Howie Roseman just devalues this position. So it doesn't take away from Robinson or Gibbs or anybody because – Somebody's going to come into this NFL that's been passed up on the, on the, by the Philadelphia Eagles and be able to run the football, right? Like, it doesn't mean that Howie Roseman is some guru of talent, like, oh, let me look at my crystal ball. None of these guys are going to play. It's just he devalues the position so much. So this goes back to the scenario we talked about with Carter. Carter's there at 10. Robinson's there at 10. Get, like, if you start looking at like that, trading back, I think it's going to be Carter – trade back and then Robinson but I'd even put like trade back and then trade back before he takes Robinson at 10. He's not going to move up to take Robinson. I, I just don't think, again, this kid's probably going to flourish, right, depending on where he goes. Special talent I think that will transfer. You mentioned the, the versatility though of the Bama back by all means and that's something that is very intriguing with the Eagles because you have to be able to pass, or pardon me, to catch passes and be able to run, especially in spot situations, but I'm telling you, honestly, Corey, I think he just passes. I think they trade out of 10, and they try and look at the second, third round 
with more capital to try and attack the running back position. Talking to Aton Shander, he covers the Eagles for the Philly Voice. Aton, the last thing I'll ask you here, I mean, how awesome is it to be in the NFC versus the AFC being what it is right now, the mess that it is of elite quarterback play? Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool because it's going to take like an injury to Hurts and a special year from somebody else. And again, you never know, like Dak Prescott could, could do something special. And it looks like the Niners are, are looking to move forward, at least with Purdy to an extent. But you're right. Look at the difference. You know, Kirk Cousins, really? Okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll deal with that in the playoffs. Daniel Jones, we just saw that as well. Aaron Rodgers most likely on the way out. You've got Detroit. You've got teams that are up on the, on the up and up. But to your point, it's not a bloodbath. Like, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback, I would say, right, in the NFL. I don't, no knock on my guy here in Philly, but on the Mahomes did it, right? Like, Mahomes did it. But at the same time, he's got to go through – sorry, my, my kid may, may like Joe Burrow instead. But <laughs> at the same time, he's got to go through Burrow. He's got to go through I, – I don't care how bad the coaching has been in, in L.A. You've still got a talent in Herbert. You've got quarterback talent now, and Lamar is coming back, right? Like, you've got guys you have to go through. Hurts has it a little easier in the NFC, especially in the NFC East. And it's no knock on Dak. It's just I'll take Jalen over Dak every day. You can knock on Dak. It's okay. Well, well I tell I know, you, I know. The, the Philadelphia Eagles, they're all in with Jalen Hurts. And, again, from a second-round draft pick, being very patient and, and now yeah. getting the value, I think that they're all in with Jalen Hurts. He is the franchise in the future, and they can restructure what they want to here in three or four years. But, I, you know, We really wanted to talk a little bit of the NBA, but our time got cut short, so we'll definitely have to get back with you in regards to whether the Philadelphia 76ers can go ahead and win the East or not. But how can people follow all your great coverage and all your odds for the draft and the Philadelphia area? Appreciate it. At Shander Show, easiest thing on Twitter. And I think Boston gets the Sixers. But I'm happy to talk about it with you anytime, fellas. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for joining us here on The Final Drive. The Final Drive coming right back here. Momentarily, we'll talk with Trent Massey from Future Ones. As, again, this technology that Future Ones has from an apparel standpoint, second to none. We'll talk to Trent Massey next here on The Final Drive. Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to Sports Radio WNFP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. That music means we have a future ones representative with us this afternoon. Trent Massey joins us. Trent, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you, Corey? Absolutely blessed by the best. Thank you so very much for asking. And, you know, when we were talking with Gus last week, one of the things that's most intriguing about Future Ones and the product, all of our listeners will have an opportunity to come out next Thursday for our NFL draft party and see some of the Future Ones cloth that you guys have as Future Ones is one of the official sponsors here at WNSP. But you guys do athletic apparel and then some. Talk to us about being locally owned and operated. 
You know, we, we started with uh, one one piece of cloth back in the day in 2017, and uh, that, that little idea turned into a business that now reaches hundreds of schools all over the state of Alabama uh, with full apparel, uh, uniforms for every sport, um, you know, equipment. We can sell every everything you need for team sales when it comes to schools. And we've had a lot of people come to us lately with business needs. You know, some of the business owners out there, hey, can you do, you know, embroidery? Can you do hats? Can you do, you know, some custom polos for us and different things like that? And so, you know, the, the answer is yes, we can do anything. And uh, so that's, that's pretty good to be local right there and be able to handle not only sporting goods needs and sports apparel, but even business attire. We can do that as well. Well, that's the awesome part about how everything has transformed and gotten bigger as far as from a brand. And one of your local offices here, you guys now are located in Sims, Alabama, 2780 Schillinger Road North in Sims, Alabama. Sweet A is how people can stop by if they want to take a look at any of that local product. But it all started off with that practice jersey like you said, that one piece of cloth to wear teams across the country were using the practice jersey. And now you can go ahead and get a team spirit packs lined up as, of course, seven on seven is really hopping and jumping off here for football activities and AAU as well. Absolutely. A lot of all-stars uh, coming up. We have some, some quick turnaround options for all-star baseball, park leagues, um, you know, a lot of different things like that. When it comes to, you know, your AAU basketball, we have some really good products, can do some quick turnarounds. Um, you know, we have a, a really neat uh, machine that we purchased this year, which was a, a, a great option for quick turnaround um, apparel. So, we're, uh, you know, our, our goal is just to provide good customer service to, to everyone and try to get things on time and I tell people all the time we're not perfect but if we mess it up we'll we'll fix it so it's uh this is a tough business but we enjoy the uh you know the competition in it and just going out and trying to get new business and meeting new people and I'm on the road today I'm in Clanton Alabama been all the way from uh Pleasant home to Stanhope Elmore and now I'm up in Clanton just traveling the state man selling some some jerseys and uh, some equipment Future One's the official sponsor of the AHSAA. And, of course, we have the North-South All-Star Games that are going to be played, and those will be some sweet Future One's uniforms that all the high school athletes and all the different sports will be wearing and rocking out. And we definitely appreciate all the love and support that Future Ones has shown here at WNSP and looking forward to seeing you guys at our NFL draft party at Walk-Ons rocking our Future Ones t-shirts. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know, the the one thing we did as a, as a young company, which uh, I remember having a conversation with Gus when we first started uh, talking about the idea of being a partner with the AHSAA, um, you know, one thing I believe that any business owner out there that can relate to is there, there comes a time in every business where you got to kind of jump off the cliff and see what, see what happens. And that was definitely one of those moments in our company where we took on the, the, 
you know, the big ask of being the corporate partner for the HSAA. And we just said, you know, it's, it's either going to be really good or it could be really bad. And thankfully, it's been really good for us. The HSA has been good to us and being able to put us in front of all the schools and, you know, different uh, places that we've been able to, to go and, you know, just become that brand for Alabama that's reliable, good quality, low cost. And, uh, you know, right here in the great state of Alabama. That's what Future Ones is right here in the state of Alabama. Trent, thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to talking to Future Ones again next week. Absolutely, man. Thank you guys very much. Y'all have a great week. Do the same. Future Ones Team Sales, you can reach them at 877-583-0747. That's 877-583-0747. Or you can reach them on Twitter at Future Ones. That's the number one jerseys. Or you can go to futureones.com to find and see their catalog of merchandise. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner coming right back at the top of the hour. And don't forget, 5.30, we have the batter's box from WNSP now. Joey Warner will be joining us. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner. And now in the studio after his morning nap is Nick Wiggins joining us. And, of course, you know, when you, when you have Nick in the studio, we, we know about Draymond Green's suspension. I think there should have been a fine. But, of course, he is he is suspended. And the, the Golden State Warriors are, are going to take a chance coming back to the Bay Area of, of possibly being swept. But last night, if you stayed up late, you got a chance to see Kevin Durant and the Suns continue to put in work against the Clippers. And Westbrook is one of those guys who put in 28 points. Kawhi Leonard had 31. But Russell Westbrook, do you love him? Do you hate him? In game one, everybody loved him. He he was he was that well, dude, that guy. Shot three of 19 in game one. Almost had a triple-double shooting three out of 19. Right. But the here's Russell the thing. Westbrook experience, yes. I, I, I tell you, what I'm looking for here, though, in – and game three out of Westbrook, will you continue to get the same thing out of Kawhi Leonard and Westbrook in game three? Westbrook's going to do whatever it takes to win a basketball game 
whether that's dropping 40 points, whether that's dropping four points and playing defense. And missing 16 shots. Westbrook is a winner. Look, let me say, I, w- I was not planning on coming and sitting here. I was just sitting here chatting with Corey during the commercial break. This was not a planned segment. And then Michael the comes in and starts slandering my guy, Russell Westbrook. Hey, he played well last night. And, you know, that's a popular thing to do, <laughs> right? Russell Westbrook, we've all heard it. Look, Russell Westbrook, he's a dog. We talk about the NBA being soft. You best leave Russell Westbrook out that conversation, people. Russell Westbrook, man, I'd ride with Russell Westbrook for sure. I I will say this. I wanted to see if he was going to swing on that fan or or just push the fan because if the fan would have walked up in him and got in his space, you can't tell me Russell Westbrook would have not knocked the bejesus That's right. out of that fan if his space would have been violated. But he, he knew not to swing first. He's violating the fan space by going into the suite. O- only certain people can rock a denim vest and no shirt and still come off as the toughest guy on the team. Okay? Russell Westbrook toughest is that guy. guy. On the team. Russell Westbrook is that guy. He's getting so upset by what fans are saying during the game that he's going into suites after the game. What do you mean toughest guy on the team? Nah, man. He, he doesn't put up with that. He's not going to put up with it. He's going to let you know. Russell Westbrook, in the same 10 minutes, he'll cuss out one of the Suns fans, and then you'll see him dancing on the sideline with another Suns fan having a good time. Russell Westbrook, he can't take criticism. And he deserved criticism because he missed 16 shots in game one. And then some people, not necessarily me, but some people probably were upset last night. Why did the Clippers win game one? Well, It it was Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard had 38 points. But a nice block. Who stopped Devin Booker? And then when Devin Booker was turning around complaining, you want to talk about complaining to the ref, Russell Westbrook grabbed that ball, threw it off his leg. Now it's Clippers ball. That was the ice in the game. I'm not saying the guy's completely useless. Who's blocked? Who would you say has the most unblockable jump shot in the NBA? Mm, I don't know. Kawhi? Is it Kevin Durant. Yeah. I will say Durant. Yeah, Durant. And who has blocked him? Who's blocked that jump shot in back-to-back games? Westbrook's got some of it. That's right, Russell Westbrook. Again, I you know I think I give Russell Westbrook a heck of a lot less slander than than the common person does because, like you said, he's probably the most slandered guy in the NBA. Sometimes it's fair, sometimes it's not. Again, yeah, he made the game-winning block. He also missed 16 shots in in the same game. It don't so, matter. I mean, it matters. It doesn't matter. It does matter. It doesn't. How how does it not matter? Because they won. They did win game one despite his shooting woes. Despite him, not because of him. him. Oh, my God. Because of him. Russell Westbrook did everything he needed to do in that game to win. And last night, when it's like a six-point game and they have a chance to, I don't know, if they they, they probably weren't going to win last night, but... There's two minutes left. It's still a game. It's a six-point game. Back-to-back possessions. Russell Westbrook just has atrocious turnovers that effectively end the game, effectively end the chances of covering a plus-eight spread, which some people might have been upset about. Not necessarily me, just some people. But, again, when it's still a game at the end of the night, Russell Westbrook, he did what he needed to do. They took home court away from the Suns. All right. You want to go in there and split them. Can you go into Los Angeles? Can the Clippers go and go home Is Paul and, and split? That that's the that's the critical part. That's, that's somebody what, we hadn't even talked about as far as back. being a superstar, not being able to play. Paul I, George. I saw a video of him warming up 
before that game. He looks like he can move around. So does Zion. Well, yeah. <laughs> but Paul George, I would hope and I would expect the deeper we get into this series and the closer it gets, and if they get down, you will see Paul George come back. And with the way this series is going, these teams already look pretty dead even. You got the most top-heavy team in the league versus the deepest team in the league. You got a rookie head coach versus maybe the best head coach in the NBA. I mean, not a rookie head coach. I'm thinking of Boston. You got Monty Williams versus Ty Lue. Two great coaches, two coaches with experience, played in big games. You add Paul George to the Clippers, that might put him over the edge. You had the Clippers winning this series, didn't you? No, I actually... Okay, so at the beginning of the season, I had Clippers winning it all. Okay. That's a healthy Clippers. Yeah, and then at the beginning... And that was with John Wall. I was really high on John Wall at the beginning of the year. Uh, But then at the beginning of the playoffs, I chose Phoenix versus Milwaukee. So whoever comes out, I'm either going to say I was right at the beginning of the year... Or I was so, right. Sounds now. like you're just gonna frame <laughs> but this. But here's the thing: you, want to frame <laughs> you have a convenient way of doing that. With, with Milwaukee, with Milwaukee, Nick, if, if Giannis yeah. doesn't play tonight and they go down two games to the Heat, Milwaukee's in trouble, in, in deep trouble, because Giannis, he, he, he's that guy to where I think the Bucks can win without him, but tonight he has to play because if they go down two to nothing. You're looking at a seven-game series, and that back's not going to get any better. He, he's going to continue to take licks. So, you, you, to me, Giannis has to play tonight. Yeah, and it's looking like he will. If not tonight, then he definitely will in the next game. Look, people, the Miami Heat are not a good basketball team, especially when they're one guy that could consistently get you a bucket. Tyler Hero now has a broken hand. The Miami Heat don't have anything. All they have is grit and determination. And I don't think that's going to be enough against the Milwaukee Bucks, especially if Giannis is playing, especially if Chris Middleton's getting going. Well, we'll go from from that series <laughs> in, in really, the really East. I, he was waiting for <laughs> waiting for Bron to respond. You, if you go there, you can in have the a East. player who just has that. But if your oh, whole that's team, not enough for a team, you need that guy on your team. But if your whole team okay, is so that, what if you else? have a pl- what if you have a team just full of players with grit and determination, like a, a team full of Russell else? Westbrook is winning <laughs> nothing. That's the Miami Heat right now. <laughs> a team full of Russell Westbrooks, basically. Oh, that's, well, that's, I tell you that's what, that's not a team I'm taking on. If, if they win tonight, Spolstra is working his magic, and they're, and they're going down to Miami and, and making some noise. And, and you look back, going to the West, the Lakers and the Grizzlies. John ja Morant, mm. uh, he, he's not going to play because you're down. I don't care if you're the most skilled player in the world. If you have to do things with your right hand and you're right-handed, you, you're going that somebody's going to hit you on the right side of your body at some point in time and take that hand away from you. So you might as well go ahead and rest them. But Memphis, I mean, they go down 2 nothing. They're in trouble. The Lakers are looking for a sweep. Yeah, I think the Lakers are going to sweep or win 4-1. Now, look, Tyus Jones, their backup point guard, he's no chump. We remember when John Morant was out in that little facility out in Florida. When Tyus Jones was filling in, they were still right there, the second seed in the West. Tyus Jones has the best assist-to-turnover ratio in the NBA, but Tyus Jones didn't strike in fear into the heart of his defender like a John Morant would. So I'm expecting L.A. to very easily wrap this thing up and get to that next round. Well, I'm looking forward to the NBA series again tonight. When you start looking at it, the Lakers and the Grizzlies, 
Of course, you have the Heat and the Bucks and Minnesota and Denver. And to me, that's one of those series that people are like, okay, let's go ahead and get that sweep over with and, and get Denver rested for the next round. But when you start looking at the NBA voting on the most valuable player down the stretch, mm -hmm. is it going to be a three-time award winner for Jokic? Or is it going to be Joel Embiid finding a way to be the man for Philadelphia? Yes, sir. It's going to be Joel Embiid. I trusted the process, and it has may, it may not have come to fruition in the win-loss column, maybe how the Sixers would have hoped, but it's working out with Joel Embiid about to win his first MVP, and deservingly so, leading the league in scoring, the best defender out there in Philadelphia, anchoring. Yes, he has James Harden as a teammate, but... Look, we, we're forgetting that Nikola Jokic is teammates with Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr. These aren't just some chumps out there. These are real ballers. Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets, they slumped at the wrong time. And Joel Embiid, he picked it up at the right time, just enough to get that award. And I guess we're all kind of forgetting about Giannis, but mm. good to, for Embiid. I think that Giannis will be the runner-up. I think Jokic will will go ahead and come in third. But at the same time, I, I still think that Embiid is going to have an opportunity to hold that hardware and, and, and see what Philadelphia can do. Because if Giannis isn't healthy and continues to have back problems, Philadelphia, again, becomes the favor, favorite in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I think they have the best starting lineup in the East. The Sixers do. It, it, you got to have bench play for sure. Yeah. To, to, to take it all. So it's going to be fun to watch as it continues to unfold. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I want to thank my man Nick Wiggins for coming into the building yes, and talking a little NBA with I'm us. I'm always going to ride for my guy Russ. It don't matter what any of y'all <laughs> say. It don't matter what Bronner says. And we're happy to bring you in here and just own you in a Russ debate real quick. Nah, any, man. You know why Russell Westbrook wear the number zero? I don't know, some some cheesy reason you're about to say? Because that's what all the haters are in his eyes. Yeah, <laughs> I got that right. <laughs> We're not a zero here. We, we probably have one more commercial break coming up for you before we step into the batter's box. Joey Warner in the building for WNSP Now coming up at 530. Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock. That's Fry Cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. You can catch up with us in the app. Or you can give us a telephone call, 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with this. And we were talking about our topics for today. And, of course, Tiger Woods has surgery again on his ankle. And not sure if he'll be able to make another major or not. And that's, that's one of those sad things that you hate to see. And as far as something that, you don't want to see as well. Tua Tungavailoa says he's learned how to fall correctly now by participating in jiu-jitsu and transferring the energy of his falls is what Tua Tungavailoa says he's learned. Michael Broner, again, I, I salute him for, for go ahead and going all out and wanting to 
to finish his career in football, but you just hope that he doesn't take another one of those hits, to another concussion, and he's done. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say another concussion because, I mean, chances are just uh, two or anyone, uh, chances are he's going to get another concussion. It's just the nature of playing in the NFL. So, but, yeah, I mean. I, you I, I you can't take another one if you're Tua. It, it, uh, there's no such thing as a minor concussion. Tua yeah. takes another one, and, and he, he just needs to hang up the cleats. And the Miami Dolphins are going to be scrambling for another franchise quarterback. And, you know, you want to see Tua succeed and go ahead and meet those expectations that everyone has for him because I love seeing him throw the ball to Jalen Waddle. But he has to stay up right now. The Miami Dolphins has been a team that has gotten better at the offensive line position to help Tua out. And that's how he came out of the gates with all guns blazing as far as 4-0 and that the Dolphins got started off to before he took that first concussion. But you just want to see Tua stay healthy and, you know, not making any excuses was Nick Saban. He says that Georgia is the king of college football. Didn't name them necessarily by name, but definitely said that he wants that pendulum to swing back to the Alabama Crimson Tide. He wants the Tide to take it back after – Georgia has been dominant these last two years. I should hope. <laughs> Otherwise, what's the uh, what's the alternative there, Coach? I mean, uh, it's good to hear that. It's good to hear that he's aware that Georgia has taken things over, and and we'll see if uh, we'll see if he can actually take back over himself. Because you know, if I think Alabama fans are more in denial than than Nick Saban is, seems like he's aware of what the deal is and and who the top dog is. No pun intended there. Uh, in college football right now, and let's hope that the tide can turn. Two terrible puns in, in 10 seconds there, but neither neither of them were intended. Well, I, I think that something else you have to look at as well is T.J. Finley from Auburn Who? decides that he probably will wind up in the transfer portal but thought it was a slap in the face for Auburn to bring in other quarterbacks and and to not ride with him. And I think that that's tough for T.J. Finley after June rolls around to continue to find a home on the Plains. Yeah, we'll see where T.J. Finley ends up. The slap in the face quote, we talked about it earlier, was truly one of the more ridiculous things I've ever heard a quarterback say at any level, high school, college, or pro. Uh, The fact that he didn't play well in the time he did start for Bo Nix the year before, and the fact that he he won the starting job even after that, and continued to perform poorly and lose the job to publicly call it a slap in the face that Auburn would oh, Auburn would dare to bring in other quarterbacks out of the transfer portal. Even that's uh, just it, truly one of the more ridiculous things I've ever heard. But you know, it is what it is. We'll see. I, I wish T.J. Finley luck and hope it works out for him at school number three. For the Alabama Crimson Tide, of course, you had Jaquez Robinson, the six foot two redshirt junior, a four star recruit. Enter the portal, and now you have Traquan Fagans to go ahead and enter the portal. Also, the the young man from Thompson High School, another four star recruit. So, anytime you can give up four star recruits, that says that your roster's pretty stacked, or that that just wasn't the place for you. Yeah, Fagans was supposed to be a good player too. So that's absolutely uh, there. Want to thank all our guests here today on the final drive as we make room for the batter's box. We'll dust off home plate for Joey Warner. 
I want to thank Trent Massey from Future Ones. Also, Gerhard Matatangi from WKRG Sports joining us along with Aton Shander talking about the Philadelphia Eagles as well. Tomorrow, of course, we'll have another great show for you. Paul Gallant will join us along with Lindsey Crosby. Tide and Tiger Report with Luke Robinson and Daryl Daprich. That'll be tomorrow on the final drive. The batter's box is up next. Make sure you don't strike out and miss it. Joey Warner in the building. This is Andrew Bell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSB 105.5.